Well, you can call me whatever you want, Christian. Only my wife has to call me Reverend Doctor. Actually, call me Lenny, please. Uh, if you're uncomfortable with that, call me Pastor. I mentioned how uh, being Italian and all, I, I, I'm physically affectionate. And uh, even to this day, grown men in my family, my uncles and even my dad, will kiss me in public, you know, if we're at the Walmart, which, which in this day and age is not a good idea all the time. But um, I promise I will not kiss you. Um, but the Bible does say, greet one another with a kiss of love several times. So uh, knowing that we've had a rough week and uh, knowing that this is a difficult Sunday, would you uh, do me a favor, please? This, I know you just sat down. Would you get back up? And would you offer a holy hug or a holy handshake to the people around you? Uh, Physical touch matters. So would you just do that for yourself? Do it for me, if not for yourself. Introverts can go to the back or go to the bathroom if you'd like. I won't kiss you. <laughs> oh, I said that on my. That went better than I thought. It might not end. Love you, Bob. I got one, I love you. Thank you, Bob, for that. You're beautiful. You're ugly. You're brilliant. You're stupid. You're a loser. You're a winner. Have you gained weight? You look thinner. I'm awesome. I'll never amount to much. I'm spectacular. I'm the person in the room with the least to offer. Words, 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 blah, blah, blah. Experts are telling us that in this post-Gutenberg press world in which we live, words have become so abundant, so numerous online and in print, that words have lost their power. Images, they say, speak louder than words. It's the end of the word as we know it. And I don't feel fine. I don't feel fine because as a professor, I live in the world of words. I read, write, and speak words, 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 blah, blah, blah. My students, how many of you are teachers? You know, students read, write, and speak words, 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 blah, blah, blah. And as if it wasn't bad enough that I'm a professor who lives in the world of words, I happen to be a professor of preaching. (laughs) Words, 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 blah, blah, blah. I first heard that phrase, words, 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 blah, 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 when I was running on my treadmill uh, watching a sermon. And the preacher was speaking to youth and basically denigrating the power of words 
while depending on the power of words to do it. What a contradiction. Why do we humans have a tendency to minimize what has maximum power? James says that we do this with words. He says it in the words he wrote in chapter 3 of the book that bears his name. James chapter 3, if you have your Bible. James 3. When you get there, say blah, blah, blah. I'm afraid that's going to stick. James chapter 3, verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed by humankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. What difference can a little word make? Well, James says it has the power of a small bit in the mouth of a strong horse that can turn the animal any way it wants to. What difference can a little word make? It has the power of a rudder that, though small and not visually prominent, can change the trajectory of that massive ship in a moment. What difference can a little word make? It has the power of a small spark to set on fire an entire forest. Words, words, words. Yep, yep, yep. Now some of us, I know I do, want to push back on James a little bit here and say something like, well, uh, actions speak louder than words. But not always. Sometimes, actually, words speak louder than actions. For example, let's say I buy you and your spouse or a friend new clothes, wherever you want, whatever you want. And then I send a limo to your house for you and your friend to go to any event you want to go to, an athletic event, a concert. I'm buying. All kinds of kind actions. And then we go to dinner at a five-star restaurant. Richards, I don't know, Hardee's. (laughs) And during the course of the meal, after all of those nice things I've done for you, kind actions, I look across the table at you and I say, you're worthless, you'll never amount to much, and your breath stinks. Chances are, my 
kind actions will be nullified by my unkind words, yes? (laughs) You'll forget all the nice things I did because of what I said. The point is, words matter. I learned this the hard way. Uh, There's lots of reasons, kids, why you shouldn't text and drive. Uh, Here's one of them. I was at a red light. I think the Hardy's light, actually. Uh, The Hardy's light. Thought of a friend who was going through a hard time. And I used my audio text feature. Uh, I'm thinking of you, buddy. And I sent it. Well, the text he got was not, I'm thinking of you, buddy, but I'm thinking of your body. truth. We're not friends anymore. That's the truth. Uh, Killed our friendship. But the point is, words matter. Every letter, every syllable matters. According to the Bible, words matter. I mean, the Bible tells us this, right? I mean, God did his best work through words. Genesis 1 and 2. God said, let there be, and there was, and it was good. Let there be land, let there be sea, let there be air, let there be animals, let there be fish, let there be birds, let there be humans. God said, let there be, and it was, and it was good. He spoke the world into existence. God shows us that words have the power to shape the reality and change the trajectory of the world and everything in it. Words, 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 yep, yep, yep. And then in Genesis 3, unfortunately, we get a war of words, don't we? After God created the world with words and it was good, we get a war of words in Genesis 3 and it's not so good. You get words of deception from the serpent. Did God really say not to eat from that tree? Then you get words of denial from Eve. The serpent tricked me. The devil made me do it, essentially. And then you get words of denigration from Adam. God, the woman you gave me, she's the problem. You ever read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and wonder why people got so bent out of shape about the names of people and places, about the words of blessing and cursing? I do. I think it's because they realized back then what we've forgotten. Words have the power to shape the reality and change the trajectory of the world and everything in it. Words. And because we humans tend to minimize the maximum power of words, we either withhold words we should release. I love you. You're beautiful. You have so much potential. I forgive you. I love you. Or we release words we should withhold. You're an idiot. You're worthless. You're a jerk. You're ugly. You're dumb. There was a poem, uh, probably the worst poem ever written, published in 1862 in the Christian Recorder. It's called Sticks and Stones. Have you heard of it? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. I got a word for that. It's a lie. Don't tell the woman in her 30s struggling with an eating disorder because she was called fat throughout middle school that words will never harm her because it's not true. Don't tell the egotistical, arrogant workaholic who can't hold down a relationship because his father told him he was worthless through his teenage years, that words will never harm him. 
Don't tell the woman in her 50s who's hitting the bottle five days a week, who's married to a guy who's verbally abusive now for 20 years, that words will never harm her because it's not true. Don't tell the suicidal teenager who's being called gay by cyberbullies that words will never harm him because it's a lie. Words do harm. And perhaps the sticks and stones that cut us most are not the words spoken outside of us, but the words in our own head that come from within us. I've got nothing to offer. I'm inferior. I'm good for nothing. My past renders me useless in the present. Words. I like uh, Ruby Redford's 2008 rewrite of Sticks and Stones. Here's her version. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can also hurt me. Stones and sticks break only skin, while words are ghosts that haunt me. Slant and curve, the word swords fall. It pierces and sticks inside me. Bats and bricks may ache through bones, but words can mortify me. Pain from words has left its scar on mind and here that's tender. Cuts and bruises have not healed. It's words that I remember. Words that shame and denigrate cause the human race to walk with a slouch and a hunch. Like the woman who walked Wally Street. I pastored in northeastern PA before I came here to work at Wesley Seminary. And there was this woman who walked up and down Wallace Street multiple times a day, actually, where I lived, with her little barky dog. Two, three times a day. And I would say hi to her often because I was a new pastor trying to make friends. So I was out the door when I saw her walk by, you know, hello, hello, hello. And she just, she walked like this with a slouch and a hunch. Wouldn't even look my way. This went on for about two years. (laughs) Hello, ma'am. And then finally, she warmed up to me because she liked my cute little kids. My kids were toddlers then, and uh, now they're not so cute because they're teenagers, but back then they were really adorable. And she would stop now and give them lollipops, and I would still come over and talk to her, and she would still not make eye contact. She'd say hi. Inferiority and inadequacy uh, was wrapped around her neck like a ball and chain weighing her down. And I remember thinking to myself, I wonder what words were withheld from her that should have been released. You're a princess. You've got so much potential. You're good at that. I love you. And I wonder what words that should have been withheld were released. You're ugly. You're worthless. You're inferior. You're no good. And I remember thinking to myself, I wish I could get chiropractic. I wish I could just straighten out her crooked back and lift her head a little higher and give her some kind of dignity with my words. That woman, I think, is a metaphor for humanity. There was a time when God with words created the world and it was good. But ever since then, there's been an abundance of shaming, denigrating words that have corrupted the cosmos. And now the human race walks with a slouch and a hunch. 
And we need a saving, liberating word to replace the shaming, denigrating words. And when we needed it most, we got one. A new Genesis born of a new word. John, in his gospel, begins just like Genesis started. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the one and only who came full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that word is Jesus. A saving liberating word to replace the shaming, denigrating words that have been spoken. And when Jesus came, he said that his primary mission was a mission of words. He said, let's go to the towns and villages so I can preach words. That's why I've come. In his first sermon, Luke 4, quoting Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach with words, good news to the poor, to proclaim with words, recovery of sight to the blind. Words. And when Jesus came, the words he used were words of exorcism, come out of him. Words of pardon, your sins are forgiven. Words of challenge, go and sin no more. Words of inclusion, this man too is a son of Abraham. Words of hope, with God all things are possible. Words of healing, get up, take your mat, go home. Words that raise the dead. Lazarus, come forth. Charles Wesley was spot on when he wrote, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing about Jesus. He, Jesus, speaks and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive, the mournful broken hearts rejoice, the humble poor believe. Words. Yep. But how does he do it? How does God with words replace shame and denigration with salvation and liberation? How does God lift the head of the human race with words? Well, he does it through the word factory. He does it through the the church. In the church, we encounter words of worship, sermon, sacrament, song. Through the sermon, we get words. Some, some so-so preacher using so-so words to transform so-so people into disciples who transform the world. Words. And there's words of sacrament. Odd, mysterious words like the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You are dead to sin, but alive in Christ. Words. Words of songs, like the ones we just sung, that have the power to articulate for us words that are so deep inside us we don't even know they're there. I used to, when I was in college, uh, just really consider the tune of the song. You know, I didn't care about the words, just the, just the music. If it was cool, I liked it. Which is why for so long I loved that song, Sha Na 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 Na. Every move I make, I make in you. You make me move Jesus. That's the worst song ever written. 
And I liked it because I liked the music. We can do better than that. And then there's words of fellowship. Through the church, God gives us words of commendation, words of challenge, words of confirmation. I, uh, I remember shortly after I came to, to faith in Christ, I was 18, 19, and I had this crazy idea that God was calling me to be a pastor. I didn't tell anybody. Because I'm, I'm a high school dropout, alcoholic, son of two heroin-addicted parents. Certainly God can't use me. So I didn't tell anybody. But God confirmed that call through people in my church who said things like, Len, I think you might make a good pastor. Have you considered that? And I'm not sure I would be in ministry today were it not for the words God sent to them to send through them to me that gave me the courage to pursue a call of God in my life that I would not have pursued otherwise. Fellowship. Words of prayer. I love when people say, I uh, will pray for you, but I really appreciate when people say, let me pray with you. And we will stand, sit, or kneel right there, right then. And they will pray prayers over me that I myself have given up praying. And their prayers give me the capacity to hope again in an area where I had given up hope. Words. And there's words of outreach, evangelism. I think I told you a few weeks back about the first Christian I remember meeting. His name was Rich, big blonde-haired, muscle-bound guy, goofy dude. And every time we got together, he would say something like, uh, Len, uh, Jesus loves you, buddy. Not Jesus loves your body. Jesus loves you, buddy, and so do I. And that was cheesy. And he could have been way more creative with, with his outreach words. But in some way, I don't fully understand those evangelistic outreach words from Rich grabbed a hold of my soul like an ultimate fighter that would not let me go until I tapped out and submitted to their reality. Words. And you are sitting where you're sitting because God, through people, used words to get chiropractic on your life so your head's a little higher and you're more optimistic. Words. Here you are. But here's the catch. What God with words does to us, He wants to do through us. Let me be plain. On the tip of your tongue, on the ball of your pen, at your fingertips, is the power of a word to shape the reality and change the trajectory of a person's life. And you don't need a degree in theology. You don't need to be the most intelligent or the funniest or the best looking or the most skillful. More often than you think, the Holy Spirit is, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit is giving you words all the time. All the time. That he intends to move from here to here to the heart of someone who needs those words most. 
all the time. You and I are conduits for the word of God, not just to come to us, but to come through us. And that can change the world. I'll give you an example. There's a woman in the church, single mom, three little kids. She's working a full-time job. She's caring for her kids the best she can. And you think to yourself, man, what a wonderful mom she is. She's incredible, an inspiration. But you keep it up here in the thought bubble. What you don't realize is that she feels like a terrible mom right now. She's full of shame and guilt as a mother. And God has given you words to give to her that can become a key to unlock the prison she's put herself in. But you just think it, you don't say it. And she's stuck. Words. 75-year-old guy, retired. He's got this crazy idea that God wants him to cash in his retirement and start a small business to employ recovering addicts and ex-cons. But he doesn't have the courage to pursue it. God gives you a thought. You look at him and you think, man, I think God has something more for him. I think God wants to do something significant with his life and his retirement. You think it, but you never say it. And he never musters up the courage to pursue what he senses from God. We've got to find a way to move the thought down four inches to the mouth so that we let out words of commendation. You're good at this. Words of challenge. You can do better at this. Words of comfort. I'm here for you. Words of confirmation. Maybe God's calling you. There is so much at stake in your words. When I was in seminary years ago, I found myself praying. And I confess, before you think of me as a saint in seminary, I didn't pray a lot. I read a lot. I studied a lot. Wrote a lot. Didn't pray a lot. But on this particular day, I was praying. And God spoke to me and said, Lynn, write your sister Tammy a letter and tell her that I'm the Mr. Wright who will never divorce her, break up with her, abandon her, that I'm here for her. I'll never forsake her. And I argued with God. I said, God, I've already told my sister Tammy, who's 13 months older than me, about your love. I've shared the gospel. And at some point, she said, Len, you're my little brother. Just shut up. Jesus is good for you. Awesome. But just leave me alone. So I respected that. But now God's telling me to write her a letter and tell her that he's her Mr. Right. My sister had been disappointed by men, divorced, disappointed by others, argued with God back and forth. Finally, you know, God persisted. I relented. I wrote the stinking letter. Tammy, how's it going? God brought you to mind. For some reason, I feel like God wants me to tell you, he's the Mr. Right who will never break up with you or divorce you. He loves you. You're beautiful to him, whatever. Sent it. Actually forgot that I sent the letter. Four or five days later, my sister, tough as nails from Philadelphia, tough girl, hardened by life, calls me up on the phone crying and says words I never thought I'd hear her say. She said, Lynn, tell me more about this Mr. Wright. 
Jesus. I, I need him now. What happened between my sending of the letter and her receiving of the letter is that the guy she was in relationship with and really loved and thought would be the one broke up with her and took off. And there was just a small window in her cracked heart to be open to the gospel. And if I didn't send the letter, and before you pat me on the back for being so sensitive to the Spirit, I have missed the boat on this thousands of times. But I want you to see what's at stake if we can just get it right. Don't just think it. Don't just pray it. Say it. Don't say everything you think. That won't be good either. (laughs) But if you have a thought from God that will not benefit you personally at all, but will benefit the person, I'm pretty sure he wants you to say it. So I want to issue a chiropractic challenge to the church, if I could. And I hope this will become a lifelong habit. For the next seven days, would you go on a chiropractic journey with me? Would you simply do two things? Listen as intently as you can for the words that God is sending to you for other people. Be conscious of what you're thinking. Chad's got a nice shirt on. Chad, nice shirt. Love your shirt. I thought it, I said it. There you go, that simple. Be conscious of the word God has given you. Listen for it. That's number one. Number two, have the courage then to say it. Speak it out over coffee. Email it out, text it out, phone it out, write it out. The more the church does this, the more the human race will begin to walk a little taller with our heads held a little higher in the dignity that comes from discipleship. I, uh, you know I like the 80s and 80s music, I confess. I told you that a couple weeks ago. You might remember this 1986 song, Word Up. Remember that one? Anybody? Word Up by Cameo, 86. Word Up, Word. So during the 80s, I went around saying Word Up, Word Up, Word Up, Word, Word, Word. I still have no idea what it means. <laughs> but I said it all the time. I know this, though. I know it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to word up. Word up, church. Word up so that we can raise people up from death to life. Word up, church. Word up so that we can replace shame and denigration with salvation and liberation. Word up, church. Word up so that we can partner with the Spirit in shaping the reality and changing the trajectory of people's lives. Word up, church. Word up. So that Jesus Christ, the Word, can be made flesh again and dwell not only in us and among us, but through us. If you're willing to take this seven-day chiropractic journey, Word Up Challenge, would you stand with me so I can pray a prayer for you? And I'm standing too. You're committing to listening for the Word and then releasing the Word that needs to be said. Thank you. Let's pray. God, thank you for trusting the likes of us with your word. Forgive us for releasing words we should withhold. 
on social media or whatever. And Lord, help us to not withhold words we should release. Empower us by your spirit to do what you've called us to do, to say what you've called us to say for your glory. In Jesus' name, the word.